Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. We go out on Thursday night, so just go to Switzer Financial Group on YouTube and become a subscriber and click that like button. On tonight's program, we kick off with how the coronavirus might affect property. And we have two economic adversaries slash enemies in my old friend, Dr. Doom, Professor Steve Keen, and Coolabar Capital Investments, the very intellectually aggressive Chris Joy. How badly will house prices be affected by this damn virus? Both these two guys tackled the subject. And then we have an extensive interview with one of Australia's most respected property economists, the Executive Director of BIS Oxford Economics, Rob Mellor, who gives us an insider's view on what's really going on in Australia's housing market. So let's just kick off with my interview with Chris Joy. Let's go to the thorny area of house prices. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a couple of weeks ago, you thought on, in this cycle, house prices could go up 20%. Would you change your view now? Because you couldn't have expected the coronavirus. I didn't, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to stick to that, that view. I'm very confident on housing. I mean, the thing about housing is you're gonna get more rate cuts, even more stimulus, and then housing stands out like bull's balls, like two Ooh. big bull's balls, because yeah. Housing, um, uh, you know, is an island of excellence in this uh, extreme volatility that we have right now. And I think a lot of folks are going to look at their super portfolios. They're getting smoked. They're going to look at their uh, shareholdings and they're going to say, I've got brain damage from the volatility of super and equities. I just like the steady consistency of my housing risk right now. So I think the housing uh, market, uh, I think growth rates will decelerate. Uh, do I think this will KO the housing market? Not at all. And in terms of um, banks passing on rate cuts, do you think they'll be morally compelled or even uh, Canberra compelled to pass them on in full? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I think the banks will be under a lot of pressure and this is going to be a, a good, as good a time as any to get passed through. Okay. One last thing. Uh, do you believe that housing construction is going to pick up because you know you said that there might be a technical recession are you therefore in the camp that if you throw all this monetary and fiscal policy at the economy in the second or the final quarter of 2020 and presuming Donald Trump wins the next election that we roll into a stock market rebound and an economic rebound sorry what's the question mate well, the question is, do you see an economic rebound in the final quarter or even half year of 2020? Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that particularly in the final quarter in the second half of the year, we get a very, very strong rebound, like a really strong rebound. Uh, whether that's enough to save uh, Trump's bacon, I think this is definitely an existential threat to his re-election prospects. So let's just wait and see. Okay, mate. Well, as always, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks, Pete. Well, this is The Property Show and a guy who made property price prediction famous or infamous is Steve Keen, my old colleague from the University of New South Wales. How are you, mate? Good. Very well. So, so far we've avoided the 40% fall in house prices. Mm -hmm. um, many of your supporters thought it was going to happen a couple of years ago. We mm -hmm. went in Sydney. And certainly went, it started. Yeah, most yeah, definitely. Sydney yeah. went down about 15%, Melbourne mm -hmm. about 40, 13 and 14%. Mm -hmm. Is the coronavirus going to actually 
make this 40% possible? It's po it could, and that's not something I can say I predicted, obviously. No. Uh, but yeah, it could do because, uh, uh, again, mm. if it comes down to the response of the governments. Initially, mm. if you were a Chinese and you saw the virus spreading through China, one thing get out to a country with a better health system, mm. Australia, mm. Canada, it would amplify foreign buying. But now it looks like China is going to be more successful at preventing the virus than anywhere else on the planet because mm. they can simply impose absolutely draconian shutdown. Mm. And you know, if some people starve to death in apartment blocks that have been well, had the doors welded on, which we've seen happening, tough luck. You know, mm. uh, uh, Z would still become out a hero if he gets China to get through this better than any other country. Mm. In that situation, it reverses it. You're safer in China than you are going anywhere else in the world. Mm. So that could undertake uh, that could undercut the the foreign the foreign buying here as well. Yeah, um, but what, can you link the level of indebtedness to the economic implications of the coronavirus? This is the dangerous thing because so many people are carrying so much debt, and that's where some of the charts would be worth taking a look at now. Yeah. We're carrying a higher level of private debt than ever in the history of Australia in particular mm. and the global economy as well. Mm. And in that situation, even with low interest rates, the servicing costs are so high because you're getting trying to pay part of the principal as well. Mm. And of course, the distribution of debt on the average, the, the, what I'm showing is aggregate debt. Of course, there are some who've got no debt, others with a large amount of debt. So the fragility for those who owe seven or 10 times their income and suddenly their income disappears because of the coronavirus. And a lot of small business people will be in that situation because it'll be the restaurant trade. Anything involving human services uh, will collapse, potentially. Mm. Yeah. And in that situation, they can't pay their mortgage. Bang, they're out the door. Okay. Uh, ever since 2007, when you first made your predictions about how ultimately house prices could fall, mm. You've, you've seen government respond, yep. and all of your supporters say, you know, governments will do anything to stop house prices falling. Particularly the Australian you know, government. Population, it's a, it's a, interest yeah. rate cuts. Yeah. What do you think the government's going to do then? Well, I th again, what I think they should be doing is similar to what they did with uh, in the GFC under under Rudd, mm. uh, which they gave $1,000 for everybody with a pulse mm. in the country. That's you know, the old go hard, go early, go mm. households from Ken Henry. Yeah. We need to do the same thing this time mm. because the, people are going to be going bankrupt for absolutely no fault of their own. Mm. And, and if they do go bankrupt, then we compound the problem because people who should be inside houses mm. are being evicted. Yeah. It just makes it disastrous. So mm. the government should be making a large cash injection. So that's the budget surplus. Forget, Forget that. Forget it. The budget surplus is stupid economics yeah. anyway. Yeah, right. But the, the, whole, the, the budget surplus means a private sector deficit. Mm. Every, if the government takes more money out of your account than it puts yeah. in, mm. your account goes down. Yeah. So the governments are the only organisation which can afford to dissave. Mm. It's nonsense to say they should run a surplus in the first instance. Mm. But this time round, definitely forget the whole idea, pump the money into the economy and stop the collapse in the private sector, taking the whole economy with it. But as I listen to this, it seems to me that the solution you're putting out there for sound economic employment reasons mm, mm. will also mean that people can still keep making their house payments. So you might not get the 40% fall again because in a sense a rescue program will be to make sure house prices don't fall yeah. by that magnitude yeah. because that would lock rock confidence. And That's quite feasible. Yeah, yeah because if, if, if again it's the whole thing that drives up house prices mm. is more money. Yeah. Okay, now most of the money that's driven up house prices has come from the private banking sector. Yeah. If you had a government rescue on that scale, then that amount of cash into the economy could rescue the prices as well. Mm. But Steve, does that mean that ultimately, and you've got to be a realist, that in the fullness of time,
that 40% fall in house prices mm. might not come about until we actually get an old-fashioned type serious recession that becomes a Great Depression by interest rates rising and there's a, a complete shutdown of economies. Because remember, it's going to be a, a Great Depression. I've always thought you're only going to be right if we get a Great Depression because the, the solutions are so hard, unemployment mm. gets so high mm. that prices fall and governments really can't rescue well, I mean, what causes a Great Depression is a collapse in credit. And that's why I might actually just take a look at a couple of the other charts okay. here if we can flick through. So the, this, what this chart is showing is the rate, level of private debt in America compared to GDP, which is the red line. Mm. And you can see that private debt now is higher than it was at the peak of the Great Depression. So the level of leverage we're carrying is m much higher again. Again, government's much bigger than it was back then, which gives you a buffer that makes them more sustainable. The blue line is the, is the what's driving the system, and that's the annual change in debt, and that's credit. Yeah. When you borrow money, you spend it. That's what is part of aggregate demand. Mm. You can spot there are three points where the level of credit goes well below zero and stays there, and that's when you have a Great Depression because credit is negative at that time. So there's what's called the Panic of 1837. So, so where we see in the middle of that, of that blue line, yeah. that's around 1930, that's the Great Depression. Yeah. And then around the GFC, that's it the went GFC. under as well. And yeah. in a sense, way back central yeah. banks had learnt a bit from the Great Depression. No, they, no, they haven't. Well, but they did throw money. Yeah. In the Great Depression, it took them a long time to actually try and rescue it. Whether the rescue is mm. a good rescue, it actually did work, didn't it? Yeah, to some extent. It, much, it worked to the benefit of the wealthy much more than it did the, yeah. the working class. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a Roosevelt revolution. That's no, for sure. no. First, next, next chart yeah. is Australia. Yeah. Now, we are carrying a higher level than we've ever carried. Yeah. And but we've never gone below really, oh, hang on, what year was it? Uh, 1930. And of course, there's the old 1895 on which was... The 1890s recession. Yeah, that was yeah. actually worse than... That was worse than the Great, Great Depression. Depression. Yeah. But we, we, we dodged it. In 2000, that's right. We didn't let it go negative, and yeah. that's why Australia didn't have a, a downturn like America, and why the house prices didn't fall yeah. as well. And that's a strong argument for the government to respond quickly and promptly. The trouble is, what it's done is it's worked by continuing the early increase in private debt. Yeah. So if you now go to the next chart, you'll see the comparison of Australian versus American household debt, mm. and we diverged from the world very radically yeah. in the Great GFC. So we managed to sustain the higher house prices mm. by yet higher private debt. So the household sector now mm. in America has a debt of about 75% of GDP. Yeah. Australia's 120%. Yeah. So we're carrying a much larger debt burden here. Yeah. So the the last the that red uh, chart, the red, red line on the chart, mm. where it's coming off is that the the house price yeah. fall effect. Yeah. falling. And, and that's, that's going to turn around again. Yeah. Well, not, not a lot. It's, yeah. It started to turn a bit. It's still falling at the moment. That's the latest side effect. It started for, uh, the, the data came out on Monday okay. on, on, on the weekend. All right, okay. okay next, so so yeah. is, that, is that rise before that, the, the rebound after the election then? Uh, it's, well, it's not the rise. The, the, the red's coming down right now. It's still mm. falling, yeah. but it's not falling as fast. Okay. And that's, that would actually is what boosts house prices. Okay, yeah. Because okay. that rise, the, the, the significant rise, that was the house price boom. That was the house then price boom. Then it's basically gone sideways for a while and started to fall. Mm. Uh, and I guess if the coronavirus wasn't coming and the, and the current setting of policies, that, that line would have probably started to rise again. Mm, potentially. It's, I think we're almost at the absolute saturation level for Australian households at that level of debt. Okay. We've pushed it right to the boundary. All right. Last question. Mm. What do you think is going to happen? Fast house forward. price wise. Oh, well, um, I could... If it wasn't for the coronavirus, I thought it would have run out of steam in the next year or so. Because mm. when, you, when you look at what we had with the, um, 
first of all, the Banking Royal Commission. I mean, you had Rowena Orr ripping the limbs off the banking Lawyer, sector. Yeah. And then along comes the report written by Treasury. It's a damp squib. Mm. Within weeks, they're saying, let's get back to irresponsible lending. They didn't call it that, but that's no, what it really no, was. They wouldn't say that. Restarted the bubble once mm. more. Uh, but you, see, you can have your bubble so long as you're willing to carry yet more private debt. Yeah. And that's the situation households are in. And from my point of view, mm. um, I've always argued that you know, we can get away with all this if we grow really fast, but we can't grow really fast. No, we've got, we've got particularly a, with the coronavirus, that's yeah. even made it hard. We've got a ratted economy. We don't have a manufacturing sector worth speaking of. Mm. We're relying upon coal, which may well be banned in the next five years. Mm. Uh, so I think we've, we've, we've borrowed ourselves into a corner. Mm. And that's what was, I was, was, my main complaint wasn't I was trying to gamble which way house I was going. I was saying this is a terrible way to run an economy. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that maybe coal is a lesser threat than the coronavirus. Oh, well, coal doesn't kill you quite as quickly as the coronavirus. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Steve Keane, thanks for joining us. Welcome. That's Steve Keane, of course, the author of Debunking Economics. And what's the website they go to? Oh, actually, it's my Patreon website these yeah. days. So I'm a, Patreon's like a continuous crowdfunding thing, yeah. it's called. So it's www.patreon.com slash Prof Steve Keane. Oh, slash. how can anyone remember that? Oh, well, anyway. Prof Steve Keane's pretty easy to remember. Okay, good. Keep That's them combined. Well, the controversy over house prices and their recovery and whether this housing sector is on the way back has always been something that the industry has been disputing. Now, I'd always like to catch up with Rob Mellor, who's executive chairman of BIS Oxford Economics, because not only has he been around the, the area of property for a long time, he is one of the most insightful property economists I know. Do I call you a property economist? Because you came as an economist, but you specialise right. in property. Yeah, well, uh, my specialty has been building forecasting and property for the last, uh, well, building forecasting I've been doing for about 40 years, yeah. uh, but property forecasting for the last 35. Which makes you a property economist. I think so. Yeah, okay. Certainly the profiles are right. high there. We've <laughs> gone through an extraordinary period um, uh, where the boom was unbelievable, yeah. and then the fall looked like it was going to be unbelievable. Now, I think you and I at, have debated, all the people are saying it was going to be a 40% fall. You never believed it. No. And I hoped they were wrong. Yep. Um, and it ended up being what? In Sydney, 15, right? 15. 15 in Sydney, which right. and was probably, up to June, was probably headed to 17 or 18. Mm. <laughs> was, it, was it created by um, regula regulatory interaction? Yeah, yeah look. It's, it's one of the biggest nominal corrections I've ever seen in the last 40 years. Uh, but uh, probably, uh, you know, probably in real terms, it was similar to something we saw in the 80s before the 87, 89 boom took off. Mm. Uh, so that through the early to late 87 period was uh, a significant decline in prices in real terms. Yeah. So it was similar to that. but. Obviously, most of the cycles, uh, particularly if you go back to the 70s, 80s and 90s, they're always interest rate driven and probably even into the 2000s. Yeah. Obviously, we've had a sustained period of low interest rates over the last 15 uh, to 20 years. Mm. And this one was driven by, and you call it the old-fashioned cre credit squeeze yeah. uh, tightening. APRA basically Which came into enough totally. enough. And mm. so that basically hit investors as the market started to ease back you know, exiting of uh, foreign investors in the market and a dramatic drop off in, in, in demand mm. and ultimately also in construction with off the plan sales. Mm. So 
uh, it was a significant correction. Yeah. <clears throat> we always saw that it could be you know, 5, 7, 8%. Mm. But to end up being 15% in Sydney and at least 10 or 12 in Melbourne mm. was a, you know, a huge correction. Yeah. But now, but it's, now it's been followed by this turnaround. Did Bill Shorten add to the correction? Uh, gearing well, policies and stuff like that? I actually think if, 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 if you turn your minds back uh, to May last year as we hit the election, I, I actually think everybody took it as a given that negative gearing was on the way out yeah. because there'd be a, a Labor government elected. Mm. And, uh, but I think they just accepted that and I was surprised by the industry's sort of lack of continuing to fight, but mm. I suspect they would have fought the competition yeah, the actual detail of what uh, the removal of negative gearing might have looked like, either mm. in terms of, you know, was it going to be limited to a number of properties? Was it, you know, exactly what the deal was? Mm. And so I think maybe people were turning their attention to that mm. post-election. Of course, the election threw up a surprise. Uh, within a matter of weeks, uh, we had an interest rate reduction and an easing up by APRA, and the rest is history. Off the races. I mean, <clears throat> I've never seen anything like this of, mm. uh, you know, to think you could be down 15% and you've already recovered inside eight months, maybe depending on what numbers you use, at least 10 or 12% in Sydney and mm. 9 or 10 in Melbourne is phenomenal yeah. in an environment where until December, uh, you'd have to say volumes weren't fantastic. All the talk about improved uh, clearance rates were on very low volumes, and clearly the private treaty sales went fantastic. So, you know, the best indicator of demand for me, and probably turnover, is what's happening in terms of owner-occupied loans and then the investor loans. And you'd have to say, looking at that data, uh, it's only really December that you start to see a significant improvement in turnover of established property, mm. and um, probably signs that the bottom of the downturn in investor demand has been reached without mm. necessarily seeing a turnaround. Mm. Clearly, it's strong turnaround in first home buyers. Uh, so the story's pretty good across the eastern seaboard for first home buyers. Mm. So that's a positive, but I'd have to say if there would be a summary point out of our discussion today, my biggest concern is affordability and that this upturn can't be sustained at the current pace. So mm. if you annualise it, it's somewhere close to 20% yeah. in Sydney, maybe a bit less in Melbourne, 10 or 12, um, depending on what numbers you look at. Um, and you can't sustain that sort of growth. Yeah. Like, I think Tim Lawless at CoreLogic the other day suggested, you know, we could be back at the peak median price of around June 17 by May this year. Uh, I'm hoping there's enough of a slowdown that that is pushed back to September quarter or maybe even December mm. quarter. So it's at least three or six months later than he's suggesting mm. because affordability will become a mm. significant issue because you know, this is all being driven now by you know, very low interest rates, mm. improved credit availability, and uh, you know, but people's incomes aren't growing at a mm. significant rate. But people like you and me um, often rely on history, yeah. but we also, the economists know that sometimes history doesn't help us because structural changes Change. happen yeah. and <coughs> the biggest structural change I can see in the housing industry is low interest rates. We, we, yep. and, and they could be low for a long period of time where you and I were used to, okay, there's Two. your interest rates, you get some growth, they start Two sneaking up and yep. then it comes off the boil. But yep. this is 
this long, is, yeah. this is a long time, and yeah. on most forecasts, uh, you can't see significant rate rises until the economy is running at three or three and a half percent, maybe in um, you know minimum two to three years. So, uh, look, obviously another quarter percent rate uh, decline yesterday on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, so, look, maybe uh, because we're coming off a lower base. Maybe, maybe there's a return to more normal interest rates sooner, but uh, certainly if you started to say, look, people will be affected certainly if rates went up one percentage point mm. to oh, one yeah. and a half, that yeah. would be substantial because if someone's only paying three to three and a half percent and rates go up by percentage points, that's yeah. a huge increase. I've been borrowing. Yeah. That's a huge increase in mortgage repayments. And yeah. so I think, uh, you know, people have to, you know, work on the basis that, you know, and you'd hope the banks are, are doing that, that effectively uh, you're assuming that rates could go back to something in the fives at some point, three to three to five years out. Yeah. And on that basis, okay, if you've got that built into your numbers, well, great. But you know, if people are all <clears throat> out there battling for properties and there's been a shortage of supply, which there has, but of course at any point in time in a market like Sydney, you, know, you could argue that 50% of the market is, should be always taken up with people who are buying and selling in the same market as owner-occupiers, yeah. basically. Mm. The variables are largely the first home buyer numbers and also then the investors. Now, clearly the investor, you know, there was a period there where investors were counting for nearly 50% of demand, Gee. which was ridiculous. Mm. You know, uh, I think there's been a reduction in home ownership, so maybe that figure should be closer to 35%, not 25 to 35 at 25 to 30. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, so it, yeah, these are interesting times. Mm. So Rob, it, it seems to me that when we do eventually get some normal growth in the mm. Australian economy and interest rates start to rise, I guess with wages, it su suggests to me that there will be a, a, eventually a pretty serious recession. Like the recession that followed the 17 or 18 percent interest rates yep. that you and I yep. actually lived through, 1991. That's yep. right. So yep. it's like there's going to be a very long in, uh, party, but eventually there'll, ha there'll have to be a serious recession yep. somewhere along the line. Yeah, you'd sort of think, you know, we're sort of heading towards 30 years, and um, while the likelihood of it in the next two or three years, barring, you know out of the coronavirus basically yeah. having a much more significant effect rather than being a three-month event or mm. something. Uh, if it's not from that, then something else will come and it'll be all self-inflicted, mm. you know, that we will get back to some period of higher inflation. You know, yeah. When you've, you've studied your economics and worked in your early career through the 70s and 80s, you mm. sort of always have... You know, I always thought post-GFC that there'd be inflationary pressures developed because of the money out there and not just the Australian economy but well, the world well. and uh, to a degree we keep living off that and it's uh, I, I must admit there's a there's sort of some irony out there at times in terms of the way we look at things uh, you know we're sort of worried about income growth not being enough and people uh, not and, and then people not spending and being cautious but then on the other hand we sort of decry the massive level of debt that we have mm. the consumer debt and you sort of think, well, you know, the only way that can be rectified is by people being cautious and not spending enough. Yeah. And that's basically what's happening. Yeah. You know, they're paying off mortgages and, you know... Uh, yeah, because those, those repayments, uh, the buffer is the biggest it's ever been, yeah. isn't it? So basically, that means that 
for anyone who's had a mortgage uh, you know, for five years, they're in a pretty good position. Mm. Uh, you know, the, peop the people who would be in a bit of trouble with the downturn certainly would have been those who bought in the 12 months before the peak, yeah. say three years ago. Uh, you know, they will have uh, found it tough and obviously they'll be very happy there's been a rebound in price mm. uh, if they did have to sell. But you know, unemployment's not bad, so unless we get a more severe impact from this weakening in China and other flow-on effects from the coronavirus, then mm. uh, I think we'll be okay. But look, the reality is, uh, you know, we as a company, Oxford Economics, with what's coming out from overseas, are becoming more pessimistic by the day in terms yeah. of the worldwide economic impact. Don't say that, Rob. It's the influence of those Englishmen in your, in your <laughs> organisation. We Aussies are always positive. Now, one area you guys do look at is construction, and construction is yep. going to be very important for growth. And my argument is, I, I hate these interest rates being so low and I hate the fact that we're getting all these house prices, but if the Australian economy can grow, at yep. least offset some of the, the excesses, yep. is construction um, turning around? Because it, it went into a bit of a hole. Yeah, look, uh, building approvals came out yesterday, so the dwelling numbers uh, probably, you know, they weren't flash, but that was after probably a November and December number where apartments, firstly in New South Wales and then Victoria, <coughs> were way higher than we expected. And mm. I don't know what drove that in terms of, you know, it looked like a, looks like a one-off factor in the mm. case of New South Wales because the December and January figures have softened. Yeah. Uh, but look, um, probably in seasonally adjusted terms, you'd be certainly getting growth in the June quarter. In terms of dwelling commencements, I suspect September quarter, without a doubt, you'll see modest growth on a year prior. So construction, you know, building companies, building materials people, um, during the September, depending on where you are in the cycle in providing product mm. or whatever into that sector, uh, they'll start to see some improvement. More in detached housing than apartments, so we think this will be a more owner-occupied mm. detached housing upturn and that the next cycle will actually take detached housing to well above what we were building two years ago. Uh, but apartments, high-rise apartments will be probably still significantly short. Mm. Um, Probably the big question mark will be, you know, what time do investors really return to the market in terms of buying off the plan? We, th we think that's probably still 12 months or so away. Yeah. Uh, all the concern about building quality has, to, be, that question. has yeah. to, uh, yeah. continue to lead to caution. Yeah. And, um, you know, but on the other hand, people will be looking there and thinking, oh, if, you know, if prices were to keep going up 8 or 10%, forget the 20%, um, maybe I could get a bit of that, and, mm. and at such low interest rates, this is a pretty good time. Mm. Um, you know, my personal view is I'd like to see uh, continued more first home buyers in the market and less investors. Yeah. And I think um, what what we're seeing in terms of again the core logic data suggests that the lower quartile price movements are more in the region of about six percent on a year ago, not twelve percent at the upper quartile. Mm. Uh, so that would indicate that people buying uh, in those uh, you know, middle to outer suburbs of Sydney in the lower quartile price range are, are only, you know, probably at least are being sensible and are not mm. fighting over properties and forcing prices up at a ridiculous rate. Because if, you know, if, if the overall median in Sydney got back to only 5 or 6%, I'd be quite happy. And if that happened seriously in the next three to six months. Mm. Um, I think our forecast for the next financial year is about four and a half. 
but it'll be a lot more than that in the calendar year because it'll be, you know, we could be up 6% or more in the first half of the year. Mm. Uh, this is, I didn't think I'd ask this question, but, you know, only because you, you are no longer a wet-behind-the-ears operator in this industry, if you had the, the power to change negative gearing as it currently exists, mm. A, would you do it? But B, if you had a, an alternative ma magic wand where you could increase the supply of properties by yep. maybe stopping the government negatives on people actually building, developers yep. building properties, which one would you go for? Or would you do both? Oh, look, I think you probably have to do both. Uh, I, I think Continue allowance of negative gearing is a right policy. Uh, however, I at times think it could be helpful if there was some limit placed on that. Mm. Uh, so the limit could be in terms of number of properties or a dollar value that you're allowed to deduct. Yeah. Obviously, the value of negative gearing in the current climate with such low interest rates is actually probably lost mm. compared to what we saw in, the, in, yeah. in past times. Uh, so, uh, but uh, so I think I think there could be some advantage in putting some limits upon it, but continuing to allow it, mm. uh, without a doubt. I mean, you've only you've only got to look at the U.S. market, which obviously the U.S. is made up of a lot more cities of sort of a quarter of a million to two million people. Mm. Um, the place is spread. Uh, you know, obviously, suburban development's a dominant thing in many. Uh, cities of, uh, of sort of modest size, cities that are obviously a lot smaller than Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane. Um, but you know, the, you know, they look at median house prices of three hundred thousand. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is um, uh, you know, there's just a fundamental difference between the two markets. Um, for whatever reason, as Australians, um, as I've sort of explained to a few people, uh, we're quite prepared to spend more money. Of our, you know, of our income, on mortgages and mm. on housing. Mm. Uh, in the U.S., they spend way more money on health and defence. I mean, if you look at any stats, uh, the percentage going into those two items is way, way, way above what uh, we do. Mm. But it's counterbalanced by the fact that you know we spend money on uh, on housing at a high rate. Is it sustainable in the long term? Probably not. Uh, but certainly, increase. it's all about increasing supply. I mean, I've been called in and talked to politicians and other people over the last 30 years. Bob Hawke had a housing summit back mm. in about 1989. Um, you know, the bottom line is you've got to improve the supply situation. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, even, even a market like Melbourne that's had the best supply situation... You know, they've, you know, they've had all that relatively cheap land in Docklands for apartment construction. Mm. Uh, they've had readily available land out in the suburbs yeah. with less restrictions. Yeah. A place like Mount Atkinson's a new project area, 6,000 homes are coming yep. into it. Yeah. So they've had that, but despite that, probably the last 12 months of the boom, you know, they had 30% increases or more in uh -huh. land prices. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there comes a time where demand pressures, and look, Victoria, Melbourne's had phenomenal growth in population, yeah. you know, way above Sydney in the last 10, 15 years, and particularly the last five or seven years. Uh, but even when you get more supply, you know, we still see substantial growth. But look at the, look at the movement in the last cycle. Mm. 
you know, Sydney median house prices are up about 85% and probably Melbourne was mm. in the low 70s. Now there's 10% of, you know, and to a degree that probably explains mm. how much Sydney went over the top, particularly yeah. in the last year of the cycle. They went over the top, it was ridiculous, and that's why it needed to have a more substantial mm. correction. Yeah, but look, my last question to you is this. I've had this number in my head, and I've written stories about it, it might have been relevant to a particular state, but I remember writing that about 30% of the developments, of developers' costs in building a, a, a home and land package are government charges. Yep. Is that, if that's right, if it's right, and shouldn't we be asking government to stop milking the whole system yep. so properties become cheaper? Yeah. Look, I've argued for a long time that our generation basically had so many costs associated with development paid for by the council or by state government mm rather than having development levies that effectively are trying to get contribution from the developers, uh, which is what's operated more over the last 20 years. And, mm. and, and those, those levies at times are ridiculously mm. high. Um, if you want to actually, you know, there's no point politicians sort of sitting there and crying poor about how tough it is and, and you know, oh, we got, something has to be done about affordability. Mm. If, as you say, and it's, I think you're right, the numbers are around that 30% mark, uh, you've got such high government-related charges, whether it be local government or state mm. government, uh, impacting upon the cost of land. Mm. And it's all about land, it's not the actual... Yeah, we actually build dwellings at a fairly efficient rate in mm. Australia. Mm. Uh, the costs over time, you know, you know, rise pretty much with inflation. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, it's in line with what you'd expect for building materials costs or mm. labour costs. Yeah, yeah. It's all back to land. And uh, look, at the end of the day, Sydney particularly is constrained by, you know, uh, where it can build. And, uh, you know, we continue to open up areas to the, you know, the west, northwest and southwest, and that's all good and fine. But, you know, unless we build a fast train and we suddenly open up between you know, down to Mittagong and, uh, and Goulburn and those places, mm. you know, they'd be the areas that, you know, would have to be developed if you want to move beyond the sort of 60k radius. Yeah. And, you know, look, you know, there's still a fair bit of land in the southwest, but, you know, some point 20 years, 30 years from now, uh, you know, there will be limits upon that. And the thing is, Sydney people more than Melbourne people want to live closer to the city. Yeah. Now, that's actually being met by high density mm. and the younger people seem to be happy with us that the older people are less happy about that and less accepting of that but that's a choice people make and if that's what they want then that's what we should be able to make sure we provide that but of course those increased densities then have some issues with regard to traffic and a whole range of other things I suppose there are some good signs there actually in the fact that there is a rapid increase in uh, you know the use of uh, trains public transport generally and mm. so that's probably a positive that the next generation coming through probably won't be using roads as frequently to get to work as mm. our generation. And I think over time that's a positive for, uh, uh, yeah, positive for society, basically, mm. in yeah. terms of things, of costs. But, uh, you know, if you want a house uh, and you want to live within 20 or 30 kilometres of Sydney, um, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. Rob Miller, thanks for joining us. Great, thanks. That's Rob Miller from BIS Oxford Economics.